Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Sarah Seibert, and welcome back to our ransomware mini-series, which features federal cyber leaders across civilian and defense agencies discussing ransomware trends and how they're working to address ransomware threats. On our last episode, Dr. Kevin Fu, Acting Director of Medical Device Cybersecurity at FDA, discussed the potential impacts and challenges of ransomware on medical devices and hospital networks, like delayed patient care and compromised patient data. He emphasized a proactive approach to cybersecurity, focusing on security risk management and leveraging capabilities like threat modeling. Joining me today is Ali Kuar, Acting Assistant Secretary for Employee Benefits Security at the Department of Labor, who will discuss how his agency is safeguarding retirement benefits and personal information, as well as combating cybercrime as the threat landscape continues to expand. In March 2021, the Government Accountability Office released a report on cybersecurity risks and 401k and other retirement plans. This report noted that in 2018, about 106 million people participated in employee-sponsored defined contribution retirement plans, such as 401k plans. Assets in these plans were worth about $6.3 trillion. Retirement plan data is vulnerable to a variety of threats, including malware, ransomware, phishing, spoofing, business email compromise, social engineering, account takeover, privilege abuse, and more, making it a critical priority to protect. Last year, DOL announced new guidance for plan sponsors, plan fiduciaries, record keepers, and plan participants on best practices for maintaining cybersecurity. The guidance marked an important step toward helping safeguard retirement benefits and personal information. Core will further explain this guidance, dive into the progress his agency has made since it was published in April 2021, and discuss next steps in DOL cybersecurity strategy. To kick off this episode, I'll turn it over to Core, who will outline the challenges DOL has faced with ransomware and discuss some of the new solutions his agency has developed to combat these threats. Ransomware is, is clearly an issue that's, um, that's on the rise. You know, a number of uh, entities that work on these issues have, have noted that, you know, organizations like um, the NSA or FBI have, have noted some of the increases we've seen in, in ransomware attacks. Um, and obviously a ransomware attack can be very worrying. Um, now, while the, um, the techniques and the tactics that the bad actors that are committing ransomware attacks um, those may be evolving um, uh, and, and becoming more uh, professional, um, harder to detect. What I would say is that some of the fundamentals really haven't changed um, about how to kind of try and prevent a ransom, successful ransomware attack. And really what I mean is that, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, again, not being a, the, the tech person, I think of ransomware as as the consequence, not the method. And the, the, the method um, that results in a key ransomware attack is continues to be things like successful phishing attempt, an unpatched vulnerability, um, people clicking on links that they shouldn't. Um, those are, you know, those have been kind of fundamental parts of cyber hygiene for a while. And I think even with increased sophistication in what a ransomware attack or attempt looks like. Uh, they continue to be uh, critically important. So thinking about like your patch management, uh, the way you're educating employees, the way you're, you're testing them to make sure that they're, they're remembering not to click on something, even if it offers them you know, a $500 gift card, uh, if it's from 
from an address that they don't recognize or outside the organization. Things like that, I think, are going to continue to be important um, and a critical part of addressing these concerns. Yeah, that's great to hear. And thank you for that clarification. Uh, and I definitely think those uh, kind of educational workforce training programs are important. I got a phone call from a scam phone call, but it was from Amazon saying somebody purchased a MacBook and AirPods from my Amazon account today, and I freaked out. So they're getting better. <laughs> they are, but little did they know they were talking to someone that knows their way around cybersecurity. That's right. Yeah, I still check my bank account and uh, my Amazon account, though, before <laughs> putting in any of my information. But yeah, so last year, DOL announced a new guidance for plan sponsors, plan fiduciaries, uh, record keepers, uh, plan participants on best practices for maintaining cybersecurity. Could you explain the key components of this guidance and its overall goal? Sure. I think, you know, maybe taking a step back and starting with the end of your question, the overall goal, we really view cybersecurity as a critically important issue. One of the things that your listeners may not know is that the, the private sector retirement system, um, the employee benefit fund system in general, but the, the retirement system um, has been very successful. There are trillions of dollars of assets that are held in that system. That unfortunately also means that it is an attractive target to bad actors. And the other part of just things you should know about how the system works is that it's voluntary. And what that means is that an employer doesn't have to offer a 401k generally, but the employees also don't, don't typically have to enroll. A lot of the reason that they enroll is the, is the result of a lot of hard work that a lot of people are doing to really encourage them to put that money away for their retirement, for their older age. And it, it really all rests on this critical foundation of what I think of as trust, right? And that's a really you know, simplistic way of describing it, but it, it's important. And I think this is the core issue for us, that trust in part is cybersecurity. It's the trust that when they put that money into a retirement account, when they have it deducted from their paycheck, when it goes to a financial institution that's kind of helping them with their 401k, that they don't have to worry about whether that money is going to be stolen. They don't have to worry about a cybersecurity threat. And that doesn't mean that those risks don't exist, that there aren't bad actors out there. I mean, we're living in the world we're living in. But that's why it's so important, because I worry a lot about what it means to have a major ransomware attack, for example. And, and it could be a major ransomware attack where someone doesn't have those, those kind of good cyber hygiene practices that we talked about in, in our guidance and that you know, like having robust backups that are held on a different system, right? So that if, if you are the victim of a ransomware attack, you have a mechanism other than you know shilling out a lot of money um, to that bad actor to get access to your data. So we view this as a thing that is really a shared responsibility, right? We need to make sure we're doing our part, um, but we really need all of the other stakeholders that, that have a, um, a, a key linkage to this to be doing their part as well. And that, that actually is maybe a good segue to describing the guidance because it really, if you think of it from that notion, doing what we can to make sure that folks are focused on this issue um, and recognizing that there are different people with different roles to play. So there's, there are um, 
three different pieces of guidance that we issued, and I'll maybe describe them um, going from uh, maybe most uh, simple to most complicated from a technical standpoint. Um, the first is guidance that we put out to participants. And when I say participants, what we're talking about when we use that term is you can think of the individual worker who's employed by a company also saving in their 401k, right? It's for, you could think of it as kind of the closest equivalent to the general public. That guidance pointed out things like, you know, it's, it's the basic cyber hygiene that we should all remember. Like your example, if someone calls you and says, oh, there's been fraud, you shouldn't immediately respond with, oh my God, are you talking about this credit card number? And then read out the credit card number to them and say, oh, you want my mother's maiden name and my social security number? Sure, here you go. Um, and it can be difficult because you're right. When, you know, if, if, you, <laughs> if your only mistake is to answer the phone, they can be really persuasive and, and you know, your anxiety kicks in and your fear takes over and, and you're not necessarily thinking um, before you, you turn that stuff over. But it's really important to make sure that people are educated and they hear this, these kinds of things enough that, that it's that voice that kicks in when someone calls and says, you know, this thing has happened, that they're, you know, they're trained enough to take a step back and say, okay, well, what's going on? I'm not actually going to provide you with my username and password to my account to quote unquote, verify that I'm the person that you intended to reach, right? But that's that first bucket, guidance for participants, or, or you could think of as the general public. The second bucket is guidance for what we call plan sponsors. And again, if you think of the retirement system, um, pick, a, um, pick a company, they sponsor a 401k, right? It's for the employees of that company. That company itself is what we call the plan sponsor. It's a separate entity from the retirement plan, the 401k. And one of the things that we thought was really important to put our guidance on is to better to make sure that those companies, when they're hiring vendors, because they hire vendors for their 401k for all kinds of different things. But one of the sets of questions they need to be thinking about are around issues of cybersecurity. And, and really what, what that kind of bucket of guidance, that document was focused on, are, you know, here are the kinds of questions you should be asking when you're talking to your vendors about their cybersecurity practices, right? Here are the things that you should be thinking about when you contract with someone to make sure that what you're getting is a vendor that is really thought about and has those good practices in place, which is, a, you know, a good segue into the third bucket of guidance, which is the most technical. And that really is aimed at those vendors directly. Think of a large financial institution that holds the 401k assets um, or a vendor that um, is doing a lot of the paperwork and holds the, uh, that critical PII in its systems. There, it's really important for those most sophisticated entities to have kind of very good cybersecurity practices. And the way I would describe this um, set of guidance, this document, is, is maybe to describe it as kind of a, a roadmap for those, uh, what we call service providers, those vendors, uh, about what a good cybersecurity um, program looks like. Um, what are the kinds of questions they should be thinking about? What are the kinds of things they should be engaged with to make sure that they're really kicking the tires on having a good cybersecurity uh, program? And, and I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, uh, it's not just about making sure that you have uh, an external audit to 
to do, for example, penetration testing. But you also wanna make sure when you get the results that the right people are looking at it and doing something with it, right? This is not a check the box exercise. And given how um, significant this threat is, and going back to your first question, how much it's evolving and becoming more sophisticated, it's important that there's really active engagement. And that, that really is a good way to, to think about what this guidance is talking about. It's, it's making sure um, in some ways that you have the right mentality because these cybersecurity practices are not just about what you have written down, but how you're implementing them. And that is something that I would say is one of the hallmarks of the difference between what is a good um, and a bad program, because it's, it's pretty easy to have something on paper that looks like it's really good. Um, but where we've seen problems, it, all, it is surprising the extent to which part of the problem is that that plan that looks so good on paper wasn't really followed in practice. And maybe I'll give you just one example that I often use when I'm talking to folks about this, which is you know one of the th things that you wanna think about in a good cybersecurity program is your resilience of your systems and how easily you're able to reconstitute. And one thing I point out is that, you know, if you're wondering, you know, you feel like you have a good plan, you feel like you kick the tires, you feel like you're doing all the right things. We actually have a, a very useful, although it's been very painful, real world example that you can use to kind of ask yourself whether you've been thinking about things the right way, because if you rewind a couple of years, in March of 2020, we had kind of that perfect storm where you had people shifting from on-site. In general, there was this massive shift to remote work. For a lot of firms, the thing that that involved is activating those continuity of operation plans that are part of their cybersecurity kind of framework. And one question that I think you wanna ask yourself is, okay, this wasn't a drill, we did this for real. How did it work? And, and did we have the kind of mentality that I was talking about where the question we asked ourselves is, now we've done it, what are the things that we learned? How did this stand up to scrutiny when we actually had to implement it? And how have we made sure that our plan has adapted now that we've gone through the experience for real? Right, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the speaking as or across the tech landscape as a whole, uh, most of the time it always will come down to the people. So, That's so <laughs> true. yeah. So since you released your guidance, uh, what progress has DOL made in safeguarding retirement benefits and personal information? Thanks. So, so I, let me say a, a few things. I think one thing that's been very heartening for me is how receptive, um, you know, the, the, the community, so to speak, has been to the guidance. It was guidance that we developed, you know, um, in partnership with, with private sector entities. We really wanted to make sure that we captured the best practices. But I think there is a, a, a shared sense of that shared responsibility, right? Everyone recognizes how important this issue is. And, and again, I'm really heartened by the commitment that people have shown. Um, but in terms of the progress we've made, I mean, beyond putting out the guidance and talking about the guidance, which is also very important, right? Just like a cybersecurity plan, the guidance shouldn't just be sitting on a, a shelf, it needs to be uh, you know, updated where necessary, but also it, it doesn't do anyone any good if people don't know it's there. Um, 
but we have as part of my agency um, an enforcement arm. We do civil and criminal investigations, um, sometimes on our own, um, sometimes in partnership with other federal agencies. And as part of our routine process, when we're conducting investigations, we've begun asking questions about um, what folks are doing um, on the cybersecurity front and whether they're being um, prudent is the word that we use um, in our statute. Um, but but you know, how proactive are they being? How are they considering the risks and how are they addressing them? Um, you know, are they aware of our guidance? What are the steps that they've taken in order to, you know, think about their own cybersecurity practices, address vulnerabilities that they have? Because really, you know, um, it would be great if we could be everywhere all the time. Um, but again, you know, cybersecurity is kind of everyone's responsibility. And, and um, you know, I'm sure uh, we've all heard the story of, you know, that, that poor um, security officer that began a vacation on a beach somewhere only to get an alert on his phone <laughs> that there, there was an active event and, and, you know, needed to cut that vacation short. We don't really, you know, it's not like this is a thing that we can plan for and, and you don't put it on the calendar that, okay, it's only Monday between two and three bad actors out there. They're testing all the time. And if they see a vulnerability, they're going to exploit it. And it's not going to be at a convenient time. So that is, I think, the thing that I would, I would stress the most is how, how helpful it's been that we've gotten that kind of reception and that people really appear to recognize. Again, I think part, partially in light of COVID and, and the, the change in which people are interacting with their own IT systems, um, there's a recognition that this is really an issue that people need to focus on as much as they can. Yeah, that's a great point. You, something you can never plan for. And I've heard um, a lot of different agencies talking about this proactive approach or a proactive model to, because you can't predict it, try to do what you can up front to minimize the effects of it. So how has President Biden's executive order on cybersecurity informed or is guiding your strategy? Yeah, I think there are... Um... The executive order really emphasizes how much of a priority this is across the administration. And, you know, in, in some ways, it's um, it's a reflection of the point that I've made already, that, that it, it's a, a shared responsibility and everyone has a role to play. So for us, um, that role really is um, focused on employee benefit plans, um, and in particular on retirement plans. But it's an issue we're continuing to, to work on, um, we're continuing to look at it. Uh, and as the threats evolve, you know, we, we hope to as well. Yeah, I look forward to watching along the way. Uh, so how are you working with other agencies or partners to improve the threat and attack response and your solutions? So, so I would say there's, there's maybe two different ways I would... Um, maybe more, uh, think about how we're working with other agencies. Of course, um, I mentioned already that we have um, criminal enforcement authority, and, and this is unfortunately an area where we see uh, potential violations of criminal law. So we are working with agencies um, like the FBI or DHS on, on those situations where we, we um, are conducting criminal investigations. We have law enforcement partners that we work with on that. 
Um, we're also in kind of ongoing discussions with uh, some of the other law enforcement agencies or some of the other agencies that have kind of um, technical expertise in this area because I think part of how we view ourselves is, is to, to serve as, as something of a conduit, right, between some of those agencies that have very deep um, cybersecurity expertise and are putting out, um, you know, some fantastic guidance for folks um, and making sure that our community that may not think to look to them, but are in touch with us, that they're it's really those two things are the things that come to mind immediately, both on the law enforcement front, but then also what you could think of as kind of from the public education front. Yeah, that's a great explanation of those two areas. Uh, so moving forward for our last question, how do you see the cyber threat landscape evolving and uh, what solutions or projects should we keep an eye on from DOL? Um, so, you know, one of the things that's interesting is it, there's there's an element of this that's kind of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Just going back to what I was talking about at the beginning, the exact mechanisms that people are using will change, right? The sophistication of the attacks um, is unfortunately probably going to continue to increase. And, and there'll be kind of technical solutions to kind of address those in the same way that they're vulnerabilities that haven't been discovered yet that will be, and then there'll be patches for that. I mean, all of those things will happen, but the, the more this they stay the same part is also important, which is, you know, going back to the conversation we were having at the beginning, it's it's just interesting to me that even though the, the cybersecurity and cyber threat landscape of today is very different than what it was five years ago or 10 years ago, the, the solution and the proactive measures that you can take fundamentally are still the same things, right? Um, it was never a good idea to tell someone your password. Um, but, but thinking about this, maybe at a different level of, of technical sophistication, right? Things like patch management, those are going to be critically important. Um, things like, you know, providing education to your employees to um, try and rebuff that uh, phishing attempt. Um, those are going to be continually continue to be important, right? Being thoughtful about who has what level of access to your systems. Those things are really kind of independent of the particular kind of threat. Uh, well, maybe not the phishing, because that, that's just about education phishing. But I, I think you see my point, right? That there's some fundamental pieces of this that are really, really in some ways, you know, they 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 mature in various ways because the, the particular nuance of the threat changes. But, but you know, if you had a, a good patch management solution, that's going to be important. You know, we can virtually guarantee that that's going to continue to be important today, five years from now, or kind of indefinitely in the future, because there's going to continue to be vulnerabilities that are discovered. So I think that's, that's one, um, very important part of this. And then the other thing that, that really comes to mind is the importance for our community, for us to be collaborating with other government agencies so that we're arming them as best as we can to stay ahead of the curve, right? And it's, it's thinking about that, that kind of public education function that we serve 
Um, part of which is actually this conversation right now, right? Making sure maybe some of the people that are listening to this haven't heard about the guidance that we put out and are going to read it for the first time because of this conversation. So I think that's that's um, very important. And, and the collaboration is also, just to be clear, not just with other government agencies. It's also with, for example, the financial services industry, where we're having ongoing dialogue with them to make sure that we are learning about vulnerabilities if they become aware of them, uh, but also best practices as they evolve across the um, industry so that we can be you know, playing that helpful role in um, making sure that everyone is, uh, is aware of them. That wraps up everything, all of my questions. Was there anything that we skipped or that you would like to add? Um, th there's one thing which is maybe not really an evolving thing um, on your last question, but kind of in a maybe coming attraction. Oh, okay. So we have, I've talked a little bit about 401ks in particular, but I also mentioned at the beginning that we are also the regulator for other forms of employee benefits, most notably um, health plans, kind of a health benefit that you get through your employer. Um, we have an entity called the ERISA Advisory Council. Um, it, it is comprised of folks in the private sector um, who are lending their expertise uh, to the government on a variety of issues um, related to the statute that we enforce. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a, a pretty diverse uh, membership. And I mean that in the sense that they, they well, every sense of the word, including the fact that they represent different segments of our community, right? The employers, um, the financial institutions, uh, what have you. And each year, um, they have kind of these one-year terms. And each year, they pick a couple of topics to study. And this year, they're looking at um, some cybersecurity-related questions that we ask them to look into. One is a focus on the context of health plans and better understanding how the guidance that we put out kind of fits in or uh, doesn't fit in in the context of the vulnerabilities or, or framework that exists for health plans because there's also you know health IT and health privacy and, and those kinds of things can play into it. So that's, that's one question. And the second question that they're looking into is um, cybersecurity insurance. Um, and how that kind of, again, plays into this whole system and how that fits in um, and the things that employers, for example, should know uh, about what that market looks like. Uh, so we're very interested in that work. They'll be uh, submitting a report to the Secretary of Labor um, towards the end of this year. And we're certainly very, very excited about that work, which is going to involve, you know, again, talking to experts, getting testimony from them, um, and really doing a lot of work to better understand what those issues look like. But that's a thing that I would flag that I don't think we really talked about. Great, yeah. Thank you for providing the background on that. I will definitely keep an eye out for it uh, at the end of this year. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. It's been great to learn more about uh, some of the cyber security strategies that you're working on at DOL. Yeah, thanks again for having me. 
Ransomware is one of the most severe threats facing federal agencies and their partners and vendors. Subscribe to and follow Cybercast to learn more about ransomware and for updates on the latest in the Cybercast ransomware miniseries. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 